Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us today. Always appreciate you letting us be part of your day. Wow, lots going on. So many things to talk about. Won't get to them all today. We'll cover as much ground as we can. We have more coming up tomorrow and in the future with so many things happening. Uh, Here's what we're going to talk about today. The U.S.-Japan trade deal is working so well when it comes to beef trade that we may reach levels that will trigger... Uh, a tariff to protect the domestic market in Japan. Would that slow down very much our beef trade to Japan? We're going to talk about it with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the National Meat Export Federation. I mean, here here's a situation where trade deal is working so good, there may be some uh, a negative part of it, but hopefully not too much. So we'll get the latest on that. Wow, speaking of trade, China continues to buy and in a big way. We're going to talk markets with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Rabo AgriFinance. And, you know, even the wheat market's been doing well and a lot of optimism there. What's uh, the latest on that? Plus, uh, weather and crop conditions as we look talk wheat today with the CEO of Kansas Wheat, Justin Gilpin, will join us a little bit later on in the program. There's a lot of proposals out there on Ag labor reform, we're going to get into that tomorrow. Can any of that get through Congress? If so, does it help or hurt the situation? We'll have the very latest on that. you got uh, a travel ban that threatens to cut off some farms from some H-2A workers. You have uh, other farm labor reform proposals out there, although it remains to be seen if they can get through Congress. Meanwhile, we also have um, President Biden's executive order, that uh, deals with climate change. There's a lot of issues here that uh, have raised some hope for opportunity, some red flags for concern. We'll get into all that as well. Lots going on. But we also have the latest on this ongoing situation um, with the renewable fuels standard and the small refinery exemptions. We now have a U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit directing EPA to submit a status report every 60 days on its progress in complying with the court's remand stemming from that July 2017 ruling in Americans for Clean Energy versus EPA. That ruling required EPA to address its improper waiver of 500 million gallons of 2016 renewable fuel blending under the RFS. With more on that, we welcome Paul Winters, who is the Director of Public Affairs and Federal Communications for the National Biodiesel Board. Paul, thanks for joining us. Tell us about this latest step in this ongoing battle over the small refinery exemptions. Well, thanks, Mike. Uh, So as the industry has been waiting three and a half years now uh, for EPA to restore the uh, biofuel volumes it cuts, Back in 2016, uh, we went to court, a coalition of trade associations went and asked the court to order EPA to do something positive and to set a schedule for uh, restoring those uh, those missing gallons. And uh, it's a little disappointing that the court was unwilling to, to just tell EPA exactly what it needed to do, but uh, there's a bit of a, a win here that 
the court found it concerning enough, uh, three and a half year delay is concerning enough that they, they want uh, status updates now from, from the agency. Yeah, as you said, the bad news is the court ruling wasn't telling EPA, hey, you've got to finally do what we've told you to do, but at least requiring these reports now remains to be seen what the reports will say or how they were viewed or will be viewed. I mean, what happens if the report comes back and it shows clearly they're not following what the court said for them to do? Then what's the next step then? Well, uh, hopefully it doesn't require ongoing legal uh, actions. Uh, the EPA just this week on Monday uh, pulled back the uh, rule that had been written by the Trump administration, and it, it's signaling that it's going to rewrite the 2021 rule. That gives them an opportunity to do something positive to, to settle this uh, three-and-a-half-year-old uh, case of missing gallons and uh, restore them during this year. So uh, we'll look forward to working with the, the incoming Biden administration and advocate that they uh, restore integrity to this program, this uh, put forward a path for growth, uh, particularly for biodiesel in the coming years, and make it a, a part of the uh, part of tr addressing the climate challenges that have uh, come to the forefront here. So it's another step in what looks to be a continuing and very long legal process. So we'll see how it plays out. Meanwhile, what are your thoughts from the biodiesel perspective? With President Biden moving to the going to move the uh, federal fleet of vehicles to electric, uh, I said yesterday it wasn't that long ago we we were all excited when when the move for the federal fleet was to go to biofuels. Now it's to electric. Are you concerned that this is a sign that uh, this administration, in its push for climate policy changes, will? kind of leave biofuels out and move up, move in this direction of electric or or do you still I, I know you're making the case to the administration yeah. of the importance of biofuels do you think it's being heard or are you concerned you're going to be left behind well we, we are going to make the case and uh, we think there's room for all of the above solutions the, the key here is to uh, reduce carbon reduce the health impacts of uh, pollution in the near term as quickly as we possibly can and that's uh, that's where biodiesel is the strongest uh, the best choice right now uh, because we can immediately impact carbon and lower carbon emissions uh, today and not waiting for uh, the rollout of new fleets and uh, new technologies so uh, there's yeah. room for both biodiesel and electric out there in the in the um, government fleets, and we hope uh, that uh, the Biden administration recognizes that. Yeah, you're right. There's room for both, but as you point out, you've we've got an industry right now producing uh, fuels that can uh, reduce carbon emissions. Uh, we have it right now. You don't have to wait for it to get here or impl it's It's here to be used right now. And we've got uh, federal fleets that rely on diesel engines, uh, and they can use these fuels today. 
That's right. That's why I call this show-and-tell time. Uh, agriculture has to show and tell its uh, message uh, to the new power brokers in Washington, D.C., that as you push for these climate policies, don't overlook us. We're, we're already d doing what you're uh, saying you're trying to achieve, so uh, don't leave us out. Always good to talk with you, Paul. Thanks for the update. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Take care. Paul Winters, Director of Public Affairs and Federal Communications for the National Biodiesel Board. So the U.S.-Japan trade deal is working very, very well. In fact, U.S. beef exports to Japan have been very good in recent months, maybe so good that uh, a safeguard trigger, a tariff level, will be reached to protect the Japanese domestic market. What would that mean for our beef exports to Japan? We'll talk about it with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the National Meat Export Federation, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us now is Floyd Vergara. He is Director of State Governmental Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. We've had a lot of discussion this week about where biodiesel fits into the push for climate policy and the changes that may be taking place with the new administration and the new Congress going in that direction. Carbon reduction is certainly a big area of emphasis. The state carbon reduction policies are just growing by leaps and bounds. Starting in 2009, you had a basically one state with a comprehensive economy-wide uh, carbon reduction target, and that was California. Five years afterwards, you had the Northeast, and then now you have about half of the country in terms of the state with comprehensive economy-wide carbon reduction goals. Those goals tend to be along the lines of 40% reduction by 2030 and 80% reduction by 2050. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. 
a public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, there are problems and then there are good problems. Uh, In the case of uh, the U.S.-Japan trade deal, here's a situation when it comes to beef trade, it's working so good that it might cause a bit of a problem. It could trigger a tariff to protect the Japanese domestic market. Let's talk about that with Dan Hallstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, thanks for joining us. Um, I guess, you know, in the in the big scheme of things, this is a big problem, a uh, good problem to have if it does reach that point because it, it, it shows that uh, we're se- selling a lot of beef to Japan, right? Yes. Yeah, good morning, Mike. You're exactly right. Uh, um, if, you, if you have to have a problem, this is not a bad problem to have. Uh, the situation is that uh, the Japan fiscal year that ends March 31st of this year uh, we're, we're more than likely going to trigger the uh, safeguard. The, the, the level is 242,000 metric tons. Uh, as of data through mid-January, we're sitting at about 210,000 tons, and um, our estimate would be that probably by the early March we, we will see it uh, uh, triggered. But, but uh, yeah, that, that's a sign that business is going well. I mean, uh, um, we are definitely taking share back uh from Australia and others, um, when we, uh, you know, when we got the Japan-U.S. Ag Agreement implemented back on January one uh, of 2020. So, if the trigger is reached, if that level is reached, and and the tariff goes into effect, what does that do? How how would that impact our beef sales into Japan? Yeah, well, right now uh, we're going into the duty of 25.8% inbound duty, as as our other uh, global suppliers of uh, beef. Um, when the uh, safeguard is triggered, uh, it'll be uh, ratcheted up to 38.5%. And depending when it happens, it'll either be for 30 days or 45 days. If it, if it happens before March 1 at the end of February, it would it would be triggered higher for 45 days. If, it, if it's after March 1, it would only be for 30 days. And then uh, we get into April, the new Japanese fiscal year will revert back to actually a little lower level. It ratchets, ratchets down every year, so we'd be back down to a 25% level at that point. So it, it may not sound like a, a big deal, but it is a bit of a concern because uh, this is one of the peak demand times of year in Japan for, for some holidays that happen the end of April and early May. So we're a bit worried about it in terms of our chilled beef business, which is going so well. There's been some talk that maybe Japan would be willing to negotiate that level before the, the tariff would kick in. Is there anything to that? Uh, I, I don't think there's anything that's going to happen prior to uh, this event. Uh, this is year one of the agreement, and but there is a provision in the agreement that says once it's triggered, whatever year it might be, there are uh, provisions for consultations between the two countries. So I think um, I think after after it's triggered, if it's triggered, you know, March one, for example, I think after that 
uh, the agreement states that they can start having consultations and uh, uh, it won't help us in year one, but hopefully it could help us in year two and, and beyond. We're talking with Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, talking about the U.S.-Japan uh, trade deal, which is working very well on, on for the beef trade. I mean, it's it's been amazing. Obviously, uh, the Japanese consumer likes U.S. beef. No, without a doubt. And, uh, um, you know, this is our largest value market on beef. It has been for years, probably will continue to be as well. Um, I would argue that uh, the negotiations that the U.S. government, USTR, and USDA did back in 2019 uh, were remarkable. I mean, it might be the most important uh, trade agreement done at least since BSC occurred in 2003, and maybe well before that, because uh, we were really um, hamstrung in 2018 and 19 vis-a-vis our major competitors like Australia and Canada because we were at a you know 12 13 percent duty disadvantage and, and a similar situation maybe not as dramatic but similar on the pork side so without a doubt in our most important value market disagreement uh, 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 was very very well done uh, you know despite the fact that we have an, a safeguard but but uh, overall that deal was very very well done so it's worked well for beef what about other meat products yeah on the pork side um, you know, Japan is, until China had their big year this year, you know, they're, they've been our largest value market as well. They'll be number two in 2020. But uh, we had the same situation where we were losing share on, on the muscle meat side for pork and also another sector called seasoned ground pork, which is a, a, a very large sector um, uh, for raw material going into sausage production and things like this in Japan. And... Uh, so we saw our share in 2018 and 19, similar to beef, slowly erode because of the, the disadvantage on share vis-a-vis the European Union and, and Canada would be another one on the pork side. But what's happened since January 1 of 2020 is really even a more remarkable story on seasoned ground pork. Um, it's a 150,000-ton market in Japan, and we had lost... 20 or 25 percent of our share over those two years in 1819 and uh, in 11 months to 2020 uh, we've seen a 30 percent rebound in imported market share so uh, absolutely amazing uh, overnight uh, so to speak uh, shift which we knew it would be when that agreement was done so yeah very very happy on the pork side as well well from an ag standpoint it sounds like uh, for our trade negotiations in the future, this would be a good model to work from. Uh, without, without a doubt, yeah. And, and let's face it, Japan is a, a very, very good uh, trading partner, uh, very loyal to the U.S., and uh, and this was a way to, um, you know, get us on a level playing field. But let's be, you have to be realistic on these things. Um, Japan has a very significant agricultural lobby as well domestically, so you know, the safeguard in this example is one of the ways they could save face and uh, but still, you know, do the right thing and get us on a level playing field. So I'm sure we'll work through this. Um, it's not ideal to have 30 days with an increased uh, duty if that's in fact what happens. But I'll tell you what, it's a heck of a lot better than where we were uh, back in 2019. That's for sure. We've not talked about Korea for a while. How is that trade deal working? 
Uh, well, yeah, over time, uh, you know, it's it's been fantastic. Uh, we, um, we're going to be on a B side around 1.6, uh, 1.7 billion in exports uh, for last year, down just slightly. And uh, the pork side was actually down about 10% last year. Um, but but still, the, the, the supply dynamics are very favorable. Um, uh, we're, we're forecasting growth in Korea again in 2021. And uh, uh, and the beauty of it is that the product mix is a little different from, uh, uh, especially on the pork side, from Japan. So they kind of complement each other. So, you know, of our three biggest markets or four biggest markets, Japan and Korea are, are right there. And, and uh, it's very, very, very important, uh, especially from a product mix standpoint for our exporters. Let's look at China. They're on a big buying spree. Uh, been buying a lot of grain. They've even bought some ethanol. What are, where are we seeing as far as uh, our beef sales in there and our and pork sales as well? Well, the beef side might be the biggest success uh, percentage-wise for 2020. Uh, the phase one deal was implemented in March of 2020, and uh, there were some significant improvements on the beef side. Uh, one was establishing an MRL, uh, you know, standard for the usage of hormones in, in cattle production, um, and the, the uh, process to approve plants for China was made much simpler, and we saw many, many more facilities approved. So long story short, uh, since March of last year, the supply chain has been ramping up for China-eligible cattle, and we're starting to see it in the stats for meat, finally. Um, we're we're going to come in probably around 40,000 metric tons for 2020 once we get December stats. And, uh, you know, that compares to, that's, that's three and a half times what it was a year ago. So an all-time, a record, a post-BSE record, and, uh, and, we're, and it's going to continue to grow in 2021. And, and this, this high-value grain-fed segment into China uh, is a very small segment. You know, the vast majority, and the whole world exports beef to China, but most of it's lower-value, lower-quality uh, grass-fed. So Dan, we're out of time. We'll, we'll, we'll get to pork. We'll get to pork another time on China, okay? Because uh, no. uh, wow, a lot of good news, a lot of good numbers here. Thanks a lot for sharing yeah. them with us. Thank you, Mike. Anytime. All right, take care, Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. So yeah, we're we're moving some meat, and uh, that U.S.-Japan trade deal been very very good for U.S. beef trade. That's for sure. China continues to buy, buying a lot of grains, buying some ethanol. I'm going to talk about it with Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst with Robo AgriFinance. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, 
Farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm Radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen with this market update. Well, we started off the grain trade here in the day session higher in corn and soybeans. We've since turned beans a little bit lower. Corn still holding on to gains. Weekly export sales neutral for corn. Well, neutral to bullish for corn. Bullish for soybeans and milo and neutral for wheat. And we did see more sales on the daily wire as well. 1.7 million metric tons announced of old crop corn to China and a sale of 213,600 metric tons of corn to unknown for old crop. Now, in the past three days, China has bought 147.1 million bushels of U.S. corn, and we did reach another new contract high in corn. That was the result. We've also been testing contract highs in bean oil. But again, this soy complex has turned around and turned lower here in just the last little bit. Meantime, we set good, strong export numbers in beef and pork as well here today, and we see the livestock markets mixed as cash cattle country slow to start here this morning, but we expect packer inquiry to improve as we work through the rest of our day today, and we continue to hopefully see uh, more good numbers in the hog complex as well. It's a little bit mixed right now. March quart up six at 540. July quart up five and a quarter at 533 and a quarter. March beans down one and a quarter at 1373 and a half. July beans down five and a quarter, 1349 and a quarter. March bean meal down a dollar a ton now at 435.60. March bean oil up 18 points at 4470. March Chicago wheat eight lower, 650 and a quarter. March KC wheat down five at 631 and three quarters. March Minneapolis spring wheat five and a quarter lower at 627 and a half. February live cattle, 17 lower, 116.27. Feeder cattle for March down 45 at 139.62. And February lean hogs, 30 lower at 70.27. Currently, the Dow Jones up 479 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Sometimes life is wonderful. And sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So much going on with the markets. We uh, bring Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo Agri Finance, in to help us sort through it. Steve, good to talk with you again. Uh, China continues uh, their, their shopping spree. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Good to talk to you as always. 
Uh, they sure are. And I don't, you know, I continue to be very optimistic about that. The China, it's almost like it's an insatiable appetite. But I, I have to say, we, we had a conversation earlier this week with my colleagues in Asia and my colleague in China specifically. And, and in talking to him and, and hearing his chatter, his discussion about what's happening with hogs there, uh, what's happening with, you know, feed in general, and then some conversations this week um, talking about how, you know, garbage feeding the hogs is just banned in China. It just gets your attention, and you think about, boy, it's no longer garbage feeding. Well, they got to feed something, so that means corn and soybean meal. And, you know, the, the numbers and the actions of the Chinese continue to bear that out. They need corn. And, and you look at the domestic demand for corn in China, and you look at their domestic production, and that, that deficit, if you have it, or that spread, however you want to look at it, continues to widen. And I won't say that there's no, you know, that there's no end to this, because uh, there will be. As we all know markets, what goes up must come down and vice versa. What goes down must go up. Uh, but, you know, it does appear when we look at those numbers and we look at our long-term baseline, which we're looking at right now, it just seems like exports continue to be, uh, a, you know, the shining star, if you have it, within both corn and the soybean market and, and wheat to a certain extent as well. Um, it's it's good news. It's hard to believe, and we've talked about this before. But you know, six months ago we were all down in the mouth, and and to just have this turnaround now is just remarkable. Are other countries getting nervous that China is going to buy up everything? <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. I mean that that is always an issue that you know I think, and and I'll I'm gonna I don't mean to pick on the Japanese, but I I'm gonna use them as the as kind of the example you know the japanese and we can kind of look at several examples you know the japanese are very concerned about food security now that comes from their world war ii experience and so i i think you know it's, it's rooted in history and and there is a concern that if china continues to buy from us and buy from south america and buy ukraine there won't be any left any, anything left for them now i don't i don't think that's that's true but the fact is even if that's not true the fact is the Prices will be higher. It's up to deal with. We've seen, and I think that's always the caution I have. And I guess it's you know it's the economist one hand and the other hand. You know, one of the things we think about sorghum in the U.S. here, three four years ago, China was buying a ton of sorghum because it was cheaper than corn, and they needed it for feeding. And so what happened was that China took all of our sorghum and left our other customers high and dry. And so then sorghum exports dried up out of the United States for several years until recently when, you know, we finally got some of those customers back and China came back. So I think we have to be conscious of that and realize that there are other customers in the world. Uh, there are other people worried about their food supplies as well. And we, we want to make sure that, you know, God forbid we have another trade war and we go through that again. Uh, but, you know, we have to make sure that we look at all the markets that are available to U.S. farmers, not just China. We're talking with Steve Nicholson, an analyst with Robo AgriFinance. So let's kind of walk through this here for the next few weeks. Yep. As the South American soybean crop starts coming in, does that yep. really cool off our, our soybean market rally? And if that does happen, does the corn market stay strong on its own until we see what happens with the, the South American corn crop? Um, I think the answer is yes. Um, we should see a little cooling in the U.S. soybean market because U.S. because 
the exports will go to South America or Brazil. We'll just be, let's just be honest about that. So we should see a, a setback, and I don't mean a setback in a bad way. We should see the seasonal decline in U.S. exports to Brazil or to, to China. But I will tell you what's really interesting is that, you know, we continue to see very robust exports. When you look at grain inspections on a weekly basis, that are seasonally high, and we haven't seen that collapse yet. And I, that is, I think, a very near, a very real reflection of how late that you, that Brazilian crop got in the ground, and the fact is it's going to be late coming out of the ground. So, again, it gives us that window, um, that longer window to export, because Brazil doesn't have it. And Brazil, you know, is very tight already. And so you have that issue that they have domestic customers, to, you know, to satisfy as well. So it, it just it keeps the entire global situation tight. Um, should we see it? Should we see a little setback here because the export demand drops off? Yes, but I think the fact is soybean prices will stay high because that global demand and global supplies are fairly tight. Similar story with corn in that that safrina crop gets planted late because the soybean crop is late, getting in and getting out, and so it gives the U.S. an added window uh, for. Um, shipping corn because Brazil won't be available till June and, you know, late June, early July versus sort of that June time period where they're usually left. So it gives us 15, 30, as much as 30, maybe 45 days of more export window. But at the same time, you have, you've had dry conditions in the Black Sea area, Russia, Ukraine. And so they don't, they may, and Argentina, um, that corn, they have smaller supplies. So that opens up or keeps the window open for U.S. corn to go out because we have corn and really, and I, this is a bit of, I don't mean to be too dramatic, but, you know, we're the, we're the available supply in the world and no one else has it. So it all looks good going forward. We should see a setback as we see in markets, as we see likely record acres planted this year, uh, assuming Mother Nature allows us to do that. Um, that, will, that will cool this off a little bit for livestock folks who are very concerned about high feed costs, and I think we have to recognize that. Uh, but the fact is, when we look farther down the road, the demand is there, and China is doing everything it can to feed people and feed hogs. So we have to uh, realize there are the normal uh, cycles <laughs> here of of when yeah. South America is, is in a position you know, to sell more. So we, we've realized that give and take. But overall, the fundamentals with these uh, tighter stocks, that's the game changer, right, that that will yep. should support this market for a while. Absolutely. And I, I think there's we have a, we have sort of an in-house discussion about how tight can beans get. 140 may not catch it. It may be a lot closer to 100 than it is 140 when it's all said and done. And I know that there's some discussion in the marketplace. I'm not sure I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm there yet, but you know believe, people thinking about corn, uh, could be lower uh, stocks there as well, closer to 1.1, 1.2 billion bushel carryover. You know that gets that gets really tight as well. So you and and that's the thing that you have to think about. It, just because it's a one year thing, you look at this crop and you go, oh boy, tight stocks. Well, it'll be better next year. Well, those stocks carry over the next year and help keep the supply side of the, of the equation. If you have the balance sheet, you know, still pretty tight and. So it, this has a, a long life to it. It's like, um, you know, we talk about droughts in that they, are, they have big moves up, but then they have long tails because it takes a while. We only plant one crop a year, mostly. Um, in some places, we double crop. But mostly we plant one crop a year, so you can't just make this up overnight. It's not like we're making widgets out there and 
we just run on Saturdays and Sundays to make up the deficit because that just doesn't, that's the way it works. So this will be with us for a bit and should support good prices for producers uh, as we look forward. So let's talk about acres then. These these good prices yeah. are going to attract acres. Yeah. Uh, are the prices good enough in some of the other crops? Uh, you know, we just say we're going. Are we just going to expand corn and bean acres? But what about some of these other crops that you would take those acres from? Are they going? Are farmers going to say, wait a minute, I I can stick with these other crops and and do well too? So maybe I won't go to corn or beans in those acres. The your question is is spot on. I mean, that is the challenge this year. You need bean acres for sure. I think we all agree to that. And, and corn needs acres as well. I mean, we cannot see corn acres slide backwards because we have a good demand for corn. Oh, and by the way, sorghum exports have been good. Sorghum prices are good. And we've heard people, uh, you know, a lot of producers in the Southern Plains wanting to plant more sorghum. Um, and then also, by the way, we picked up 1.5 million acres of winter wheat this year. Um, so that ground is tied up at least until spring. You know, potentially something that could get plowed under if it if it doesn't look, look good because of dryness, or or prices and margins are good, they may keep it. But you know, or prices fall on wheat. But the fact is, you do have. And we haven't talked about cotton. You know, cotton is easily a 12 to 13 million acre um, crop acres this year. And and one of the arguments I've heard from the Delta is that you know if you've got an 800 900 thousand dollar cotton picker sitting out there you really don't want to let it sit idle you're going to you're going to use it so you you're absolutely correct in the premise of your question we have a lot of crops looking for acres and it's going to be a dog eat dog fight to find them and get them and i think that's part of the reason too you see these markets well supported because markets are fighting for those acres and want to make sure make sure that they get them and so they're making sure farmers can pencil those in and say well what's on my best margin um based on the prices I see today as I make these plans. So it, it is going to be a really interesting year to see how this all shakes out um, with the acres and, and who who is, I hate to call it winners and losers, but, you know, where do those acres go and who maybe gets left out in the cold this year? Yeah, these are conversations we've not had for some time. Very interesting for sure. Steve, <laughs> always good to talk with you. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Mike. It's great to talk to you as well. Thank you. Take care. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Yeah, interesting time, and we'll see how all this this acres mix is going to play out. What about what's going on with wheat? Uh, They're excited with the wheat markets, too. What about uh, uh, winter weather conditions and impact on the crop? We're going to talk all things wheat with the CEO of Kansas Wheat, Justin Gilpin. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. 
When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to really cook. First, you can't tell it's done by how it looks. Use a food thermometer. Then, always stir, rotate the dish, and cover food when microwaving to prevent cold spots where bacteria can survive. Fast cooking should still be safe cooking. And bring sauces, soups, and gravies to a rolling boil when reheating. Even for the most experienced cooks, the improper heating and preparation of food means bacteria can survive. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. What kitchen gadget is so essential to food safety that no home should be without it? I'm registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. A food thermometer isn't just for meat and poultry. It will help you avoid food poisoning from egg dishes, casseroles, and leftovers by ensuring they're fully cooked by reaching a safe minimum internal temperature. Heat leftovers and casseroles to at least 165 degrees and egg dishes to at least 160 degrees. You'll find more food safety tips at homefoodsafety.org. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Steve Sinsky joins us. He is the CEO of the American Soybean Association. Most of us, I'm sure, have no idea of how many different things USDA is responsible for, the complexity of the agency and of these positions, such as Deputy Secretary. Kind of give us an idea of how broad a scope that is. It really is. USDA touches almost everything that every American does whether it is the nutrition that is provided and the dietary guidelines that are developed, the food assistance that's provided there, meat and poultry inspection, commodity grading, fruits, vegetables, as well as meat product and their marketing. And then, of course, farm safety net programs, our lending programs and the support for farmers. But then it continues on from there for rural communities, sewer and water loans, also going on, of course, to our conservation programs, and then the U.S. Forest Service. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Carbon monoxide is a colorless, odorless gas that can be fatal. Don't use anything indoors that burns fuel. 
such as gasoline-powered generators, camp stoves and lanterns, or charcoal grills. Opening doors and windows or using fans isn't enough. Have your vents and chimneys checked to make sure water heater and gas furnace exhausts aren't blocked. If you feel sick, dizzy, or weak while using a generator, get to fresh air right away. From the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, it has been a while since we talked with the uh, CEO of Kansas Wheat, Justin Gilpin, who joins us now. Well, Justin, I uh, hope you are well. Certainly things have changed market-wise uh, for for grains uh, when we look at the commodity markets, including wheat. Uh, you got to be excited as well, right? <laughs> hey, Mike, good to talk to you. Um, and Happy New Year. It has been a while since we visited. But, yes, yeah, certainly interesting times in the commodity markets and and there is some optimism, not just in uh, in wheat, but obviously the what's what's happened uh, with the price run up in corn and soybeans, but uh, obviously a lot of volatility, but creating some pricing opportunities for farmers we haven't seen in the last five or six years, and and uh, hopefully uh, hopefully the weather will cooperate and have some bushels we can sell at these prices. Well, let's talk weather, and anytime we talk Kansas wheat, we usually start with moisture. How much are you getting this uh, this winter? Well, when you think about the Kansas wheat crop, Mike, uh, you know, I think we talked last fall, is there, you know, we were certainly, you know, really dry conditions. When you look at that drought monitor, the, there's just a big red blob of really uh, drought-stressed areas in the hard red winter wheat growing areas from the Texas panhandle to the Oklahoma panhandle up through Colorado up into Nebraska and that western Kansas. And we really saw the effects of that last last uh, fall with our, when we got our wheat crop planted uh, emergence wasn't very good, uh, tillering wasn't very good, and so as of November, the crop conditions ratings for Kansas were less than 30% good to excellent. Now, since that time, we've been able to get a little bit of moisture over the winter, and so uh, uh, the, the most recent crop ratings report actually had Kansas increased uh, good to excellent rating up to 46%, and that's that was reflective of getting a little bit of moisture, and, and just this last week, we've gotten some snow cover over some much-needed areas. So, uh, you know, for what we need for this crop with that, where we were being really stressed in the fall, uh, we're going to need a lot of good conditions to get us uh, uh, back to an average-type crop. Uh, And right now, here in the last 10 days, uh, and what's in the forecast, it's actually looking kind of favorable, knock on wood. So it's getting better, but you've got a ways to go. Uh, talking with Kansas Wheat CEO Justin Gilpin. Justin, in our last segment, we were talking about the markets and uh, the um, the battle ahead for acres. And with these corn and soybean prices as they are, you know, uh, the thought of more acres for both, but that would come from other crops. And we talked about prices for some of these other crops may be good enough that the farmers won't want to switch out and go to corner beans for some of those acres. What what are you hearing among uh, wheat growers as far as acres are concerned? You know, that is a big topic, Mike, and uh, I know you, you and your program do a good job covering that and providing information. You know, when you think about Kansas, Kansas, as far as principal crop acreage planted, 
Kansas is the second uh, largest principal crop planted behind Iowa, just under 24 million acres planted. Uh, wheat, uh, winter wheat is still the number one uh, acreage uh, in the state of Kansas. You know, we've certainly seen a decline in the shift in those acres to corn and soybeans. Uh, in this this uh, most recent uh, USDA NAS report, Kansas wheat acres increased from last year that were 6.6 million acres, this year up to 7.3 million acres. And so part of that was just kind of rotation that we were expecting to see, but but certainly those dry conditions that we were talking about in the fall uh, had had farmers thinking if it is going to be a dry year, maybe my, their chances are going to be better with a wheat crop versus a, a more a higher uh, higher moisture-needing crop like corn or, or soybeans. And so we saw an increase in wheat acres last fall up to that 7.3, just over a little bit of a 10% increase. Now, with where prices are at right now, as farmers are looking at their spring uh, planting acres, uh, certainly, there's going to be an increase in soybeans with the where soybean prices are, uh, but also the story, another story, Mike, is sorghum acres are going to be up probably to 3 million acres in the state of Kansas. Uh, sorghum price has been extremely strong and showing a premium to corn. So if I had to guess right now, Mike, where we're at, we're probably going to see, uh, you know, with the increase in winter wheat acres we've had, we're going to see an increase in soybean acres, an increase in and sorghum acres, and I think those are going to come at the expense of corn acres, the way way it's shaping up right now. Last year, the state of Kansas planted 6 million acres of corn. Uh, we could, just just by doing the math with those increase, like you've mentioned, uh, I think uh, corn acres could be closer to 5.5 or even a little bit less, and that's probably where, uh, where you're going to see a decline is in the corn acres in Kansas this year. Wow, that is interesting, and it's been a while since since growers had these kind of options, good options to choose from, right? Well, certainly, you know, and Kansas is also the largest producer of sorghum that we mentioned. And with those, you know, there's there's some areas where basis levels have sorghum at uh, almost a dollar premium over corn right now. Uh, there's just been a strong demand for export of sorghum to China, and so uh, I think that's going to come at the, at the expense of, of corn acres, but. Certainly, prices in general. The opportunity to get some uh, some new crop wheat on the books, uh, with uh, and also the sort of uh, corn and soybean prices. It's, it's uh, being able to put a floor in to kind of protect themselves to lock in a, a profit is something that farmers are going to be talking to their merchandisers and elevators and, and uh, trying to take advantage of the opportunity that's created itself. But it's just so much volatility right now and uncertainty. Uh, people are nervous about making a mistake. Uh, you know, but uh, the one thing that uh, you, you want to try to do is, is, is work through it so that you can try to protect yourself and, and lock in some of these levels if you can. Yeah, these are big decisions to make, and farmers always have decisions to make. It's good that they have some good choices, some good options now price-wise uh, as they make those decisions. Well, Justin, good to talk with you, and uh, we'll stay in touch as uh, we get go make our way through this winter and these uh, some of these planting decisions uh, start uh, you know getting closer at hand. We'll talk more as we get closer. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Look forward to visiting with you more this spring. All right, take care. Justin Gilpin, Kansas Wheat CEO. So interesting comment in that uh, as we look ahead to acres for this uh, year he says potentially 
with these uh, good prices for several crops, he says potentially could see fewer corn acres in the state of Kansas this year. We will see. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk about uh, the ag labor issue and also some, uh, are we getting closer to getting Tom Vilsack uh, confirmed for ag secretary? Updates tomorrow on AOA. Mike Adams, thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.